but uh, uh, you know, they also have great testimonies. I think Gao received tongues. Um, so ask if you if you're curious, please go and talk with them and share your testimony. You know, because it is is a, is a powerful word. And I'm actually going to talk about it today uh, in my sermon. But um, as you saw, like the retreat video. Man, like when I see everybody together, we're worshiping together, I, like, I get a glimpse of what heaven's going to look like. You know what I mean? And then I just, it's like I get this pride that rises up in me. But it's not like a new Philly pride, but it's like a pride of heaven. Like I'm like, man, this is our identity. Like when I see everybody just like a sea of people, like jumping up and down and like, like saying, Jesus, like this is, we, we're here because of you. I get this incredible like just... Like, I feel like this joy rise up, saying, like, man, this is our identity for the rest of our lives and into eternity. And so it, it blows me away. I think it really was at the retreat at Willie Hilly Park. There was open heaven over that place. You know what I mean, it wasn't just a crazy chandelier. Um, it was, uh, it was, I really believe that it wasn't open heaven. And God was just really pouring out this amazing uh, revelation. It was powerful. I just want to introduce some guests. Uh, we have some Emmaus students here. Yeah, uh, I mean, this is our college ministry up in Seoul. Um, so new, uh, uh, out of uh, Hill, Hillside, it's out of just all of us. It's part of New Philly's college ministry. Uh, they're in Yonsei, uh, SNU, and Sky. I'm not Sky. Uh, <laughs> Korea University. And then those three, I discovered this today, this morning when I was uh, leading prayer. Those three combined makes the word Sky. And so they, they're called the Sky Schools, and they're like the top-rated schools in Korea. Well, Emmaus is in those three campuses, and um, they're really doing an amazing work of God, just really uh, reaching out to the young people um, coming into Korea to study. And so there are some Emmaus students here. We also have John and Christina Boyle. They're from, they're from the Bay Area. Um, they're actually on their honeymoon, and their honeymoon is going to be like, it's like an eight-month-long, like six-month? Six-month-long honeymoon. They're traveling all around the world. John was actually one of our seminar speakers. He, t- he spoke on creativity. Um, I'm going to check it out. I haven't had a ch- chance to check it out, but I'm going to check it out soon. You can check out all of the retreat, uh, the testimonies, the sermons, even all the seminars online. So go to our Facebook, or you can actually go to our website, and it's all available for you. So check it out. Um, yeah, they're going on a six-month honeymoon. Man, that, only white people do stuff like that. I'm telling you, dude. If I told my mom, I was like, I'm going to go on a six-month honeymoon, they're going to be like, you're crazy. She, she would say it in Korean. Michasa? Who's it? You know, but, you know, like, they're, they're daring. I, they're, they've been staying with us for about a week, and, man, they're active. They want to, like, 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 they'll be like, man, like, yeah, we can go on a hike, and we can do this. And I was like, man, why do you guys do so much stuff? I like, just sit, sit down and just, like, rest or something, you know? But they're just really active, and they're just going from place to place. They've seen more Busan than us. Seriously, they have. They've been to the, the Busan Tower, and I was like, what's the Busan Tower? I've been here for a year and a half. I still don't know. They went there. So um, it's, a, it's great to have them here. It's such a, such a blessing. Um, today I'm going to continue on with my sermon series from the book of Acts. I've been going through the book of Acts for some time now. I took a short break, actually kind of a long break. And today I'm going to go right back into it. And um, my, it's going to be my eighth sermon out of the book of Acts. And right now we're on the chapter four, chapter four of Acts. Uh, my last sermon came at, at, at the... At, at, it was about the healing of the, the lame beggar at the gates of beautiful. And, um, and how, like, you know, John and Peter, they're walking. They're going up to the temple. They're doing what they've been doing every day, you know, as Jews. They're going into the temple 
to, to pray. And they see this man. He's, be, he's, he's, a, he's a lame man. He's been lame since birth. And, and every day, his friends pick him up and they drop him off at the gates of the temple so that he can, he can ask for alms. He can beg for alms. And then as, as Peter and, and John are approaching, he, he sees them. And he's like, he, they make eye contact. And they're like, oh, like, it's an opportunity for me to receive. And so um, Peter and John sees this man and they approach him. And then so the guy, he like big, he puts out his hand and he's like, uh, you know, some, some money, please. You know, whatever he said. And then and Peter and John look up. He's like, look at me. And so he looks up and he says, silver and gold I do not have. And he's disappointed. <laughs> like, oh, I want you guys. But he says, but what I do have, I will give to you. And name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And at that moment, homie gets up. He jumps up. He says, he leaped to his feet. And he was fully healed. He said, it, it describes it. Luke's a physician. So they, he almost describes it with like energy and strength being restored to his legs. You know, like muscles that were in atrophy for, the, for all of his life start coming like bursting to life. And he's just getting up and jumping up. And as he gets up, he walks into the temple with them. Like he says, leaping for joy and praising God. So that was, that was, that was actually my last sermon. And so today, um, I'm going to actually go straight into my next sermon from right then. Okay. We're going to pick up right where we left off. So this man is healed in front of all the people. Okay? Yeah, he, you know, it's funny because it, could, it wasn't done in secret. It wasn't like, oh, you know, like only a few people knew about it. But um, this man has been sitting by these gates all of his life. He said he's been crippled since birth. And so it's not like he's been there for a couple of weeks. Now he's been there for like a few months. He's been there almost all, for the most part of his adult life. He was probably sitting at this gate asking for alms. And so everybody, all the Jews that walk into the temple, it probably sees this guy every day. They know him. You know what I mean? Um, it's similar. Oh, that's my phone. It's similar to, um, to here in Busan. When, I, when we moved here, uh, and we were at this uh, a bar called Sea Robber's Boss. Okay? It's a funny name to say, like, Pirate, pirate King or whatever. But um, there was actually a, a man that worked at that bar, and we called him Sea Robber's Boss. And so it was just like this kind of Korean ajashi. Um, it was funny, and he would, like, watch us worship at the bar, and he'd, like, kind of, like, you know, laugh at us and kind of join us. And he actually became our close friend. And one day we, were, we went to Sharky's to eat, and we're walking back, and then I, I would see this, this old harmony, this old lady, and what she does is she goes from store to store, shop to shop, and she'll put gum in front of the person, and, and then he'll, she'll expect money, like a dollar in return. If you give her 50 cents, she gets mad. You got to give her, like, chonon, right? And so I was like, oh, and I felt bad. And I was like, oh, I don't have any money. And, he, and he's like, oh, like, don't, don't give her money. Like, she's been doing this for most of her life here in Busan. Everybody knows who she is. And she has, like, a nice apartment, you know. And, like, I, I've known her. I've, I've seen her all my life, you know. Like, I, I know this woman, right. And ever since he said that to me, I would, like, ride my bike through Busan. And I would see her. I was like, oh, there's that, there's that lady again. And I'd be eating at Fuzzy Naval, and she would come by. And I was like, oh, there's that lady again. And so, like, she was, she's like a bit, she's like this, and you'll see her. She's kind of scary looking. She has this really crazy smile, and she sits, like, right by Thursday party. And she sits there, and then she, she sells gum. And so, like, she's like this known figure. Every, if, if, you, if you saw her on TV, you wouldn't know her, what her name was. You, would, you know, you wouldn't know her personally, but you say, I know this woman. You know, she's that, that's a lady, the kind of, the weird lady from Kwangali. And so, and it's a, it was similar with this guy. So, when this... Lane Beggar was healed. Everybody knew who he was. Not because he was important, because they just seen, they've seen him every day. Every time they went to pray, they saw this man. 
You know, and, and, um, and it was like, it made it, it was a very public spectacle when this man was healed. And so everybody that knew this beggar, everybody that had seen this beggar, they, they, they were just amazed. They was like, oh my goodness, I, I know this man. He's been lame since birth. And so it, it created just this, this, this amazing group of people that just surrounded Peter and John. And said like, man, how did this happen? What's going on? You know, it, it was like this, it, it, you know, it talks about later on that like they, they increased. They said that like, like the number of those who believe were 5,000. I don't know if that's went from 3,000 to 5,000 or if actually 5,000 more people were added to the numbers. I, I didn't really like go into it in detail, but it was like like a thousand, like thousands of people were there, and they saw what had happened, and they were just amazed, and they're in, they're like asking questions, like what's going on, like how did this happen? They were amazed, and then, and right here Peter takes the opportunity, you know, and in this place called Solomon's porch in the temple, and he starts preaching again, you know, he's like, he he this is like will be his second sermon, you know. Of the church era. And he's like, why are you looking at us? Like, it's out of our, our power or our piety that this man is healed. And he, and he says, you know, you who denied, you asked for the murderer to be released. You know, and the man that you killed, the man that you helped kill is by his name, Jesus of Nazareth. This is how this man is healed. And he's like, man, and he, and he, and he preaches him about repentance. He's like, man, I know you guys did it out of ignorance. You guys didn't know. And it's actually out of God's plan that you guys did this. But this is your opportunity. You know, turn and accept Jesus. This is, you have the chance to receive Jesus. And I'm paraphrasing here. Um, and then while he's preaching and teaching, all of a sudden there's like this, this like it, it talks about, it, it's not like they just walked up to him and say, oh, Peter, can I have a word? It says these men just like came up on them. They're like, man, and they just kind of grabbed them and, and kind of took them away. These men, these important men, they came up on him and they just kind of took him away. And, and I'm going to read to you. It says, while Peter was preaching and teaching, some important men rushed up and said, and they were the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed. They were, they were, they were angry. They are like, man, what's going on? You know, and, and it's like almost like they've, they've been sitting, sitting by watching and hearing, listening to what was happening. And they're like, man, I can't take this anymore. And they just, just grabbed you know, they just grabbed some people, they rushed up on him, you know, and then they grabbed them, and it says they locked them, they, they, they arrested them, and they locked them up for overnight. And, yeah, it, it put them in custody till the next day. And so this is the church facing its first persecution. Okay? It's the first real sign of persecution that the church is facing. And then what does the Word of God t- say about persecution? Should we avoid it? Like try to get by? What does it say? It says, it says expect persecution. It's the word of God. When you read the word of God, basically, if you're a believer of God, if you're a believer of Jesus Christ, you have to expect persecution. It's going to happen. Matthew 5, 11, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because... Great is your reward in heaven. For, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And if you read Matthew 10, Jesus is basically telling them, you're going to get persecuted. Man, there's no denying. You're going to get persecuted. He's expected. A disciple is not above his teacher. They're going to hate. They hate me. They're going to hate you too. That's what he's saying. 
And brothers and sisters, if we are disciples of Christ, we have to expect persecution. And so, and so as Peter and John are standing before this, it's called the Sanhedrin, probably, the words of Jesus probably rang through their heads from Mark 13. And Jesus says, But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues. And they're like, oh, man, I remember that. And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must, be, must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they are bringing you to trial and, de- and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And so John and Peter are standing before these important men. And it's funny, it's really important, it's really uh, interesting into what details Luke describes the people that arrested John and Peter. It talks about, um, he records it, it says that they were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon him. Later on in verse 5, it says, On the next day there, there were rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Ca- Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of highly priestly family were there. So these are some important people. You guys know where, if you guys kind of knew what, who, who these people were, these are like, like seriously important people in, in the Jewish world. Okay? The priests. Okay, this could include the Levites scattered throughout the land. But what they're, what most likely what Luke is describing is the priestly caste that was in Jerusalem. I mean, the high priest. When they talk about the priest, they're talking about the high priest and like his, basically his, his family, his caste of, of people that are established in, this, in, the, in the city of Jerusalem. And these people had a lot of power. Talk about the ta- captain of the temple guard, probably referring to the captain of the temple guard and the guard itself. And these were, they weren't like powerful, like Roman soldiers, but they were the next ones down. So they're like the popo. They're like the police of Jerusalem. These are the, these are the men that arrested Jesus, okay? These are the men that arrested Jesus Christ. You know, these, they're the guards of the temple. And these, these men, and, the, and the, the, the captain of the temple guard, he's like the one right underneath the high priest. So he also has a lot of power, a significance to this man. Talks about the Sadducees. These weren't sad Jews, you see. You guys like that? Come on. Laugh, laugh. Ha, 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 ha. They weren't sad, you see, because they were rich. Okay? These are the upper class Jews. Okay? Sad, you see, are like, they're the ballers. They're the ones that got, got all, all the money. There's not a lot of sad, you see. They were small in numbers, but they had a lot of influence because they were very wealthy. They were the, the wealthy, upper class Jews. And, they had, they, and like I said before, these, these men had a lot of influence, and they also had a lot of power. Uh, it talks about the rulers, the elders and the scribes. Rulers are the people in, in, in authority in the government or in, or in uh, different like, places within the, the structure of the Jewish religion. It talks about the, the scribes. These are teachers and learners, the people that are entrusted with not just learning the scriptures, but actually writing it out. These people are also very, it's a theocracy. The, Jews, the, the Hebrew is, a, it's, everything is about religion. Everything is about God, Yahweh. Right, so like it's not. There's nothing secular about the organization. It all It's like the scripture, the law is very important to them. It's like part of their life, and so the, so these people are very important. It talks about the elders. Elders probably meaning 
like the, the older, like really the, the um, important older men that were living in Jerusalem that also had a lot of power and influence. Talks about Annas. Not Anna, but Annas. He, he was a high priest. And then Annas was replaced by Caiaphas, by the Romans. But like in Jewish culture, once you're a high priest, you're always a high priest. You're never like, all right. So the people always saw Annas as the high priest, even though this other guy. So they were both there. And these men actually encountered Jesus. When Jesus was going through the trials, they talk about how, how Annas and, and these, the high priest like approached Jesus and, and was part of the, the process of him being crucified. And so these are very powerful, influential, significant men in Jerusalem. You can easily say that they're powerful and important people. These are men with authority, men with influence, men with stature and significance. And they were all gathered in front of Peter and John asking them, by what power or by what name did you do this? And you know what? Peter and John, they had every right to be a little freaked out. They had every right to be intimidated. Okay? Because these men had the power to imprison them. These men had the power to get them beaten. These men had the power. These were the same men that would ultimately lead to the persecution of the church. These were the men that would lead to the stoning of Stephen. You know, get Paul getting beat up, almost killed, almost murdered. These were men that had the power to, to bring a lot of just pain their way. And they had every right to be a little freaked out, a little scared, a little intimidated in front of them. And it wasn't just them, but it was the spirit in which these men were acting in. Okay? If, you, if you look at it, you know, last year Pastor Benjamin came to, our, to Hillside and he did this, this sermon called The Spirit of the Antichrist. Okay? If you guys want to go back there, you guys can find it and listen to it. But this was their first real encounter with the spirit of the Antichrist. And it was right in their face. You know, Pastor Benjamin... He talks about the spirit of Antichrist. There's only been two kinds of spirits. There's a spirit of Christ and then a spirit of Antichrist. And when the spirit of Antichrist, uh, what marks the spirit of Antichrist is that it denies that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, denies the incarnation, doesn't deny Jesus existed, but denies that he came in the flesh, attacks the manifestation of Christ in the flesh, the resurrection of Christ in the flesh. This is the spirit of Antichrist. And we see it kind of flaring up here. So like, how, di- how dare you guys preach this? You know, these men were acting, yeah, they, they had their reason to think of it, but the spirit in which they were acting in was the spirit of Antichrist. In John 2.22, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is a Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. Second John 1.7, it says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such is one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. And then 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. And here stands Peter and John, young men, uneducated, 
insignificant to the eyes of the world. They have no man-given authority. They have no clout. These are just common men. And they're standing before the most educated, the most influential, the most powerful people in all of the known Jewish world. These men are filled with hate, with a spirit that hates what you are preaching, hates what you stand for, hates and opposes the man that you've given your life to, so much so that these people led to his murder. He murdered the, his, their masters on the cross. And, and, and these people are thinking, man, you should be scared. Do you know where you are? Do you know, do you know the, the ground that you're standing on? Do you know who we are? Do you know who I am? This is what they're saying to, uh, to Peter and John. And they ask him, by what power or what name do you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, answered boldly, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is healed. And he goes on, and in just a few words, he drops the gospel on him. This Jesus is a stone that, the, that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And it, and it says in Acts 4, 13, that when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And this is my favorite part. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. And the point to my message is simple. We have to be bold. Brothers and sisters, tell your neighbors, be bold. Be bold. We have to be bold. We have to be bold. Why? Why do we have to be bold? Because what Jesus said about persecution, it applies to us. Didn't stop in the first century. It doesn't just happen in China and Iran. Because if we are a follower of, a, a follower of Jesus, we have to expect, expect, expect persecution. And we have to be bold. Why? Because that same anti-Christ spirit that comes against the very idea of Christ Jesus as Lord, that denies that Jesus came in the flesh, that Jesus Christ resurrected in the flesh, that he is alive and coming back soon. That Antichrist spirit is alive today and, and is, is, is wherever where we go. You know, and it may not try to persecute you by beating you up or imprisoning you or stoning you, but it's just as active today in our lives. It just does it more subtly. In media, in entertainment, in politics, culturally and socially, is still actively opposing the idea of Christ as Lord. Jesus Christ coming in the flesh. Jesus Christ resurrecting from the dead in the flesh. The spirit of Antichrist still rages today, and it's just gotten a little bit more sneakier. And so we have to be bold. Today, so much of American entertainment, TV, movies, it depicts Christians as mindless, self-righteous, 
hypocritical simpletons. It's so quick to depict the lustful and unfaithful pastor, the money-hungry TV evangelist, the superstitious, dim-witted, Bible-toting Jesus freak. (laughs) Hollywood, this is all true, Hollywood loves to hate on Christians. As a matter of fact, it's gotten that it's taboo and politically incorrect to make fun of almost every social group except for Christians. You know, we, me, and, me and my wife, we watched this show called Mindy Project. And, and, and recently, Mindy started dating this, this minister, you know, this man of God. All of a sudden, they're having sex. Like, what's going on? And they're just radically just like just, just, just ruining just like Christianity. They're, they're showing Christianity in such a, like, like a, a wrong and incorrect way. And I was like, man, this is crazy. You know, socially and politically, people can spew whatever hatred they have about Jesus, Christians in the church. But the minute believers start to stand up for their faith and convictions, they are labeled as self-righteous Jesus freaks, throwing their religion at people's faces. We live in a generation where some of the most influential people, people of pop culture, they loathe the name of Jesus and what it stands for. Church... Movies, TV shows, the media, it all shapes popular attitude. It shapes popular culture of our generation. And as Christians, we find ourselves in a world where it's not only unpopular to have faith, it's straight up ridiculed. And as Hollywood and and much of pop mainstream culture ridicules and belittles Jesus and his followers, we as people of faith in Christ Jesus, we must not cower. We must not shy away, but we must be bold. You know, Christians often watch TV and movie, and the minute something unsettling comes on regarding Christians, they like turn it off. Or whenever they're making fun of Christians, they kind of shut their mind off. They're like, oh, you know. Whenever somebody says something bad about Jesus, they're like, oh, this is sacrilegious. I'm, I got to turn it away. And they want nothing to do with it. And I believe that this isn't the answer. We are to overcome that spirit. We aren't supposed to like come in agreement with it and to cower away from it. We are supposed to face it. It says to be in the world, but not of the world. It's not to create yourself in a world that only makes you comfortable. No. You, you have to be able to face the offense that Christ brings to people. You know, Hollywood is bold, but we have to be bolder. We can't let it get to us. We can't be like, oh, it hurt my feelings. It makes me uncomfortable, so I'm going to shove it out of my mind. I'm not going to think about it or dwell on it. You don't let, yeah, you don't let your mind fall into it. But you don't defeat yourself before you even have the chance to, to overcome it, to face it and overcome it. In Proverbs 28, 1, it says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Why? Because not only are we to stand for the name of Jesus Christ, we are to love and save the same people that hate and ridicule us. And in order for us to do that, we need to be bold. We have to have boldness. In order for us to love and save, we have to get past that stigma. 
We have to stand up and face the offense. We must be bold. How can we save people that find us offensive when we aren't able to encounter them? When we aren't able to find ourselves in their midst? It says in 2 Corinthians that we are the fragrance of Christ. To the ones being saved, we are the fragrance of life. But to ones that are perishing, we smell of death. They're like, man, you stink. Get away from us. But in order for us to reach the ones that will turn to Christ, we have to bear the offense that comes from the name of Jesus Christ. And in order for us to do that, we need to be bold. The righteous are bold as a lion. So what does this boldness look like? Okay. No, in, in, it define, in the dictionary it defines as fearless and daring, courageous. That sounded weird. Requiring or exhibiting courage and bravery. Unduly forward and brazen, impudent. That's like me sometimes. <laughs> Clear and distinct to the eye, like bold handwriting. So, is the boldness I'm talking about mean not being scared, being fearless, and being daring? I was very bold when I was on that high-speed chase, running away from the police. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I saw a lot of bold and fearless people when I was in prison. I don't think this is the the boldness that, that Jesus is talking about. So what kind of boldness am I talking about? And how do we get it? You know, and one, one thing that I want to say is boldness is being able to love in the face of offense. Right? Because when, when somebody comes up to you and says, man, you're one of those people. I know you. I, I, I know you. I've, I've heard you all my life. Stop throwing your, your religion at me. And when these people are in your face, you have to be, being bold means to love this person and getting past that offense. It all has to be rooted in love. If your boldness isn't rooted in love, it's arrogance. And my first point, our boldness comes from our identity in Christ Jesus. It says in Acts 4, that when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. The boldness that we must walk in must come from who we are in Christ. We are, based bold, we are bold based on our identity in Jesus Christ and who He is. If your boldness is based on anything other than the person of Jesus Christ and what He did and who He is, That boldness is pride and arrogance. It's in your flesh. And and let me tell you, whatever boldness that comes from your flesh, it might feel good at first. You might feel like, wow, man, I'm good. But it's not going to take you very far. If If your confidence is in your education, if your confidence is in money, if your confidence is in your good looks, you know, my boldness doesn't come from my good looks. 
If you if your confidence is in anything other than Christ, it's not it's not boldness, it's pride. But I am bold because I am a child of God. I am a new creation. I belong to God. I am dead to sin. I am alive in Christ. I am a citizen of heaven. I am royalty. I am a priest of God. I am more than a conqueror. I am seated in Christ. I am seated with Christ in heaven. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I lack nothing. I am a blessing. I am blessed. I am the light of the world. I am created for God's glory. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's the boldness that Christ is talking about. That's the boldness of a lion. Saying the righteous are bold as a lion. And no matter what the world throws us, we can be bold. We won't cower or shrink down. But we will remain in the place of faith. And we are all these things not because of anything that we did, but it's because of Jesus. And we are, when we are established in who, he, in who we are in him, we have a boldness that the world can't take away from us. Because it's not from us, it's from God. Now, I, I, used to, I used to know a lot of bold people. You know, these, these guys, gangsters, all tattooed up. And they were like, man. And they, you know, when I first got I'd be like, man, I'm kind of freaked out by you guys. So I'm just going <laughs> to chill, watch TV. But then I would, I would watch these guys, and they're like, you know, they're all big and buff, and they're bold. They're, they're, they're you know, no fear. But then in their interactions, one guy could say something to that other guy, like as a joke, and that guy get all insecure. You're like, oh, and you can see that the boldness just like like leaving his body. I mean, they'll clown on each other, and all of a sudden, their identity just gets shook real quick, and they get beat yourself. Oh, I'm not, I'm not gonna talk with you. Take off. And he's a grown man. Your boldness has to come from Christ. Paul says in Second Corinthians twelve. 9 through 10. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. That's, bold. That's the boldness that comes from God. When I am weak, I am strong. Because it's not from me. It's Christ in me. The same Peter that stands before the Sanhedrin right now, like talking with boldness and all this authority, is the same Peter that a few months back had denied Jesus three times. Aren't you that guy? I know you. You follow Jesus. It's not me, man. The little girl comes up. Man, that's the man that was following Jesus. Shut up, little girl. That's not me. Oh, I know him. That's Peter. That's Jesus. Man, you don't know what you're talking about. That ain't me. This is the same G. This is the same Peter. A few months back, had denied, had no, no boldness, couldn't stand on anything. But what changed in Peter? It's only it's like about fifty some odd days later. He had discovered who he was in Christ Jesus. When Christ rose again. And he poured out his spirit upon him. He knew that this was all real. And he discovered his place in Christ, his identity in Christ. All those lessons that Christ taught came rushing back to him. 
But it was the person of Christ that gave him his identity. Moving on, my second point is our boldness comes from the fear of the Lord. On on Friday, Pastor Herman preached a message on the spirit of excellence. And he says something that really nailed it on the head for me. He said, and I quote, Fear of the Lord is valuing Christ's opinion of you above all else. Fearing God says, I care what Jesus thinks about me more than anyone else around me. Any other opinion that gets in the way of the opinion of Christ is the fear of man. Brothers and sisters, if we are walking under the fear of man, you do not have the fear of God on your life. And it's because you can't have both fear of man and fear of God. Sometimes we think we can. Like, oh God, I love you and I fear you. But then you turn look the man and then you realize like you, you value what man thinks of you more. That's not the fear of God. If you value more of what man thinks of you, you may love God, but you're not living with the fear of the Lord. Your confidence is in man. But when you truly fear the Lord, when you, when you value what he thinks above, above all else, the fear of man breaks off of you. And listen to what it says in Proverbs 14.26. It says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. It's talking about that boldness. Comes from fearing the Lord. Saying, God, above above you, there's nothing else. My fear of you is above all else. And and when you're in that place of fearing God, in that place of just, you are just saying, God, I I fear you. Like nothing else, nothing, no other opinion on this world world matters for me. Yeah, out of that fear of the Lord comes a boldness that the world cannot take away the boldness to take on whatever the world throws at you, confidence to get past whatever the world thinks about you and continue to do what God's called you to do, which is to be his witness. You know, the fear of the Lord will radically change how you see evangelism. The fear of the Lord will radically change the way you see the lost, how you encounter the lost. And we see with Peter and John, the fear of the Lord was on them. Now, these men try to scare them with, 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 uh, with their earthly powers and their authority. They threatened them, it says, with punishment. But what does Peter and John say? In verse 19, it says, But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Okay? And then they are released and they go back to their people. They go back to the other Christians, the other believers. And they tell them what had happened to them and what the high priest says, said to them, the threats that he'd given them. And then they start to pray. But how do they pray? Look at how they prayed. Are they like, Lord, protect us from these people. Protect us from their threats. You know, deliver us from the persecution. No, what they say is, is how do they pray? It says, now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Like, God, we fear you more than these men. Like, these men, they're going to give us these threats. But God, you're, we, we value what you think above all else. Give us the boldness to preach your word with boldness. Like, give us the boldness to, to do what you called us to do. These men feared the Lord. And they received the boldness that the world, the world couldn't take away from them. They're saying, give us more boldness. 
the confidence, their boldness came from the fear of the Lord. You know, I, I have a lot of confidence. People say, like, man, you're pretty confident for a fat guy. Um, you know, and I think, I think it does come from my time in prison. When I was in prison, I, when I first went in, it's, like, scary. You're like, oh, man, like, these guys are mad buff. You know, they got all these tattoos. And, 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 but then you, later on, you realize these are just people. These are just, just, just kids. They're like, you know, they're just, they're just other people. You see, you know, when they watch movies, they get emotional, you know, and then when they, they like romantic comedies and all this stuff. And so you, I realized, and then, like, at one point, I got to a point where, I, like, the fear of man wasn't there. So I couldn't go up to anybody. Like, because when you're in prison, you're Asians, there's a very small number of you guys, right? We call the others. They don't, we don't even get a race. We just call the others, right? There's the blacks, the whites, the Hispanics, and the others, right? And then I got, like, later on in my turn, I got, I, I realized, man, these are just people. You just have to approach them in the right way, like they're real people. And then I was able to talk to everybody. Like, you know, usually Hispanics can't talk to black people, or they can't really interact with them. White people can't interact with black people. In prison, it's very racial. But then be, me being Asian, I had to go up to anybody. Like, oh, what's up, man? How you doing? Give me, let me, let me get a soup. I'll pay you back later, you know. And like, you, 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 I would be able to talk with like whatever race, whatever people. It's because like, like, you know, like I'm Asian. Nobody gonna mess with like. There's only two of me. What can we do? You know what I mean, what can I do to like hurt you? You know. And so like, I got this like amazing confidence that like, like, and when I when I came out of prison and I, I, we would go evangelizing with Mina, it's like, man, you're able to talk with to non-Christians very well. And I was like, yeah, I think it is. It's like that, that, that type of fear broke off of me at one point. But, you know, when I came to Korea, there was a different fear that I found. And it was the fear of Christian man. Okay? It was this fear of, like, what like, Christian people thought of me. And for the first year or two of, years of my life, man, I had this, this secret. Man, they're going to think I'm a criminal. They're going to think I'm going to steal things from them. You know, like, and one, this is a true thing. I remember in Hillside, like, in the back is a media table, and then what happens, people would collect the offering, and they would put, just put it in the back. And I would avoid that area on purpose, because I felt like, man, these people are going to think I stole something if they find out that I went to prison, right? I had this fear of just man on me. It was like a, it was a, that was the first time I've ever said that, but I really did, man. I would avoid that area. I would avoid it. I was like, man, I'm not going to stand there. They're going to tell me I stole something, you know? But, and then, but what God spoke to me is like, you know, if you want to draw closer to me, you got to break this fear off of you. You got to tell your testimony to everybody. And that struck, that's a fear of God was on me. I was like, oh, I don't want to do that, God. Like, don't make me do that. Please, don't make me do that. I can, I can live here for like three, four years, and these people will never find out. And then God said, no, you got to break this fear off. I share my testimony. And when I share my testimony, I realized what the fear of the Lord was. I said, man, God, like, it doesn't matter what man thinks of me. What matters is how you think of what you think of me. And, and as that fear of man broke off of me, man, I got this boldness. You know, boldness to raise my hand when I worship. I used to never do that. I used to be like, uh. And after that fear of man broke off me, I didn't care. I just worshiped. You no, know, my sister, the sister, our sister Hanwan said she clearly remembers the day that after I said my testimonies because I worship differently. You no, know, the boldness to to minister, the boldness to to join leadership, the boldness to go on mission trips, to answer God's call. 
That boldness came from breaking off the fear of man and understanding the fear of the Lord. True boldness comes from the fear of the Lord. Moving on, let's, Acts four fourteen. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. I love this part. Because do you know what that healed man standing next to him is? It's the testimony. It's a living, act li- alive, jumping up and down testimony. It's a testimony of Jesus Christ. And they couldn't say anything. They could, they say, they could not say, because they saw this man standing next to me, they had, not, they had no way to oppose them. They had to just let him go. You see the power in that? A boldness. There's a boldness that comes from the testimony of Christ on your life. Boldness comes from standing on the testimony of Jesus Christ in your life. You now, when I look at what God has done for me, I am filled with confidence knowing that he could do it, he could do it for you. That's a boldness that comes upon me. It's, a, it's something that I personally own. I'm like, man, this is mine. And, and it gives me boldness. It gives me courage. Because it's real to me. You know, and what, it's one thing when you hear of what God has done in other people's life, but it's another when you stand on those testimonies, you claim those testimonies, and then you discover them for yourself in your life. Now, you guys heard some testimonies up here today. When you hear it, yeah, it could be powerful. But it's a whole different thing when you discover that testimony for yourself in your life. And that, that boldness, boldness rises up in you. And you know that he's real. You know, Catherine came to our church a while back and and then we had and she joined our leadership like she came to our church joined our leadership before she became a member and she's like I'm all in and so she uh she she she, she came she joined she took our leadership training and then we had our first furnace our leadership training here and then I remember we are all gathered here and then uh she brought her her friend and it was Brisa and then Brisa came in. She was like, oh, I'll just wait. I'll just wait in here. And so she went in this room. And then, and then we had our meeting. And we we're praising and doing all this thing. She was in there the whole time. And after it was over, she came out like, oh, hi. Nice to meet you. And then she left. And then we had our fireworks festival. She came by and we got to know her. But what had happened was she saw the testimony of Christ on Catherine. She saw the testimony of jesus and as they interacted more and more Bree says like man that's 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 cool that's cool and then we heard her testimony and she's like and then she had this moment it was like god make yourself real to me i want that testimony for myself and then when she claimed that testimony and then she sought her own testimony god just radically transformed her life and gave her a testimony that now she can own for herself now she's bold came up here told her testimony she was at the retreat. She was like, ah, my name is Brisa. <laughs> everybody, everybody knows me. The boldness of God is upon her. It, it, it comes from standing on her testimony. It's a powerful thing. When you stand on your testimony, boldness rises up in you. Because you know that it's not you, it's God. You know that it's Christ. There's a testimony of Christ upon your life. You know what I mean? Stand on your testimony. Proof of God, proof of Jesus active and alive in your life. That gives you boldness to face whatever the world throws at you. 
I don't believe in Jesus. Well, I do. He's alive, active in me. Let me tell you about how he, he, he delivered me. They're like, well, whatever. But then that gives you a boldness. You confront this antichrist, antichrist spirit. And you say, you know what? Whatever your whatever your spirit that spirit is acting in, my the spirit in me is greater. It's greater. It's alive and active in me. Last but not least, I want to move on. And it's a simple thing. The boldness of God comes upon you through the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Word of God. You know, these men, he asked him, by what power or by what name do you do this? And 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 what does it say? It says, Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, said, rulers of the people and the elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom you raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you, before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. He's filled with the Spirit, Holy Spirit, and the, and the thing that comes out of his mouth is Scripture. That's Psalm 118. The Word of God, it was at the tip of his mouth. It was on his tongue. You know, remember in Mark 13, 13 9, it says, but, but be on your guard, it says, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand, what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. You've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you've got to be filled with the Word of God. It's got to be engraved on your heart. Boldness comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit and having the Word of God written on your heart. You know, we see this when Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. It says that he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Pastor Benjamin mentioned this in his sermon in the retreat. But he says, it's not like the Holy Spirit took him to the edge of the wilderness and said, all right, Jesus, I'll see you later. I'm going to go over here, have fun in the wilderness for 40 days. No, the Holy Spirit was with Jesus in the wilderness, leading him as he was walking. Leading him in his time in the wilderness. It says, let him in the wilderness. And then to each of the devil's temptation, how does Jesus respond? He responds with scripture. It is written, man does not live by bread alone. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. It is written, you shall not put your Lord to the test. This is scripture. He answers with scripture. He answers with the word of God. And and Jesus was bold. He didn't stutter. He was bold. He knew. You know, what I love, and I love Pastor Benjamin, and, and if you look, if you watch Pastor Benjamin uh, preach, man, he is bold. And not because he's black. <laughs> Had a little bit to do with because he's black. But he's a bold, bold man. And he's filled with the Spirit of God. He is. And when he preaches, he rarely looks at his notes. He rarely looks at the Bible. Why? Because the Word of God is written on his heart. He'll recite to you chapters and not verses. And one time, he was like saying some stuff. He was like, la, 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 la. I was like, man, this is a good word. And I realized it was the Bible. <laughs> I was like, man, he's just, he's just reading the Bible to me with his mind. 
Like, I thought, like, man, this is eloquent. It's poetic. It's a powerful word. And then I realized, wait, this is a Psalms. He, like, memorized the whole chapter. How is he doing this? But the word of God is written on his heart. And when he preaches, he preaches with boldness. I have never seen Pastor Benjamin have a lack of words to say. I've never seen him say, oh, um, um, let me look to my notes. No, it's, it, the word of God is on his tongue. It's on his lip. It's just pouring out of his mouth. Because he has the word of God in his heart. And that boldness comes from it. it comes from the Holy Spirit that's, that's giving him the utterances to speak. He, it's that boldness. There's power in that boldness. Brothers and sisters, we need boldness. Why? Because persecution is going to be there. And we need boldness because we're living in a world that seems to more and more hate Jesus and his followers. We need boldness to get past that offense. And if you've been listening to Pastor Christian's sermons in the last few weeks, he's been, his last one was really long. It was almost two hours. But if you listen, and he talks about the tribulation. He talks about end time and what it's going to look like. And, you know, if you, take, if you believe what Pastor Christian believes, and this is also what I believe, that, that the church is not going to get raptured up. And then, but if, if we're going to have to go through the tribulation, we're going to need boldness. Church has to be bold. And, 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 but if we do get raptured up, that's all good. We're like, yeah. But, hey, if we do have to do it. Nobody really knows except God. But think, if we do have to go through the tribulation, those seven years of tribulations, we have to be bold. We have to be ready now. It's, it's, it says it's going to come like a thief in the night. We have to be ready. We have to have that boldness in us. And it comes through knowing who Christ is in us. And to, and to fear of fearing the Lord. Thank God, what you think of me matters more than anything else. There's a boldness that comes through that. And standing on the testimony of Christ on your life. And knowing that the Holy Spirit is active in you. And then the Word of God is a weapon to fight against that spirit that rages to remove Christ from this world. There is a spirit, and it's active, and it's alive, and it's trying to remove Christ from this world. And we are the remnants. We are to establish Christ in this world. We got to be bold. Got to be bold. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we know that just us on our own, who we are in the flesh, we are weak. But in you, we are strong. And, and because you are always with us, we say that we are always strong. And we say that we are always bold. No matter what the world throws at us. No matter what the world says about us. No matter what the world says. How, how, how they ridicule us. How they belittle us. How they, how they, they, they tear down your name. How they make fun of your name, Lord. You said that the servant is not greater than the master. And, 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 and they, 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 they hated you, God. And we know that they're going to hate us. But Lord, give us the boldness to rise above it. Lord, give us the boldness to be able to love in the face of offense. 
Give us the boldness to conquer whatever persecution this world has for us. However they malign our reputation, however, whatever they say about us, help us to only look to you and what you see us as. Help us to fear you above all else. And we know that in you, we are strong. We are bold as a lion. The righteous is bold as a lion. And Lord, help us to be effective in how we live our lives upon this earth, God. All of this is for a purpose. It's not for our comfort. It's not so that we, we, we get to do things easily. But it's for your glory. It's for your kingdom. So God, equip us with your boldness, God. Help us to stand upon who you are, how we face this world, how we face offense. Make us a generation that is bold for you, where boldness just rises up in us. People will see us and say, man, these people are bold. They won't back down. They won't cower away. They won't turn from the offense. They'll face the offense and overcome the offense with love. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ in our lives. We bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.